Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, take your Bible and let's uh, go to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at only verse 3 this morning. I've entitled it, A Proper Evaluation of Myself. That's for each one of us to say personally. You and I must have a proper estimation of who we are, for what God has put together in our hearts and lives. We're reminded there's no accidents with God. Sometimes we think we're accidents, impossible. And a God who's purposeful, almighty, God who has established all things before anything ever came to being, knows the end from the beginning. Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. A proper evaluation of myself. Look at Romans 12. Let's remind ourselves, reading verses 1, 2, and then 3 is our focus for this morning. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And stop or do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good and pleasing and perfect will. And now for today, Paul writes, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Well, today we hear, don't we, much about the subprime mortgage and all the fallout associated with that. It, uh, it's amazing. Uh, not too many years ago, I didn't even know there was such an animal as a subprime mortgage market. Maybe it is a recent phenomenon. Maybe many of you know far more about that than I do. It seems uh, in my little bit of reading with it that part of the problem <clears throat> with the uh, subprime mortgage uh, is, uh, along with other things, like not doing a thorough credit background check and, and doing 100% financing with nothing down, it seems that uh, uh, appraisers overestimated the value of some homes. You know, that's a kind of a fluid thing anyway. We get into the habit of thinking, well, real estate always goes up. And over the long haul, it certainly is a wonderful investment. In fact, most folks, it's uh, their, their, their best investment lifelong. Uh, but it's fluid. Uh, they tend to go up and down a little bit. And uh, at the peak of that, at the uh, housing industry uh, cycle, houses uh, were being appraised very high, and they're not at that level today. They've, they've dropped down somewhat. 
with uh, this problem, supply and demand, and all that kind of a thing. And so those that, that did 100% financing with a, with a uh, adjustable rate mortgage, even if they have good credit today, they go to reappraise the, uh, the mortgage and the house isn't worth uh, what, what's owed on it. And so there's the pincher play uh, right there because the estimated value today of that house has dropped somewhat. Such a practice allowed people to buy homes with big mortgages that they probably, probably couldn't afford. Well, that's a big problem and it's not for me to solve. I guess it'll work through its, the system as it cycles through, as somebody said. But uh, it's a whole other thing, isn't it? Beyond estimating a home, it's a whole other thing to provide proper estimation of your own worth and value. Far too many Christians have an inflated view of themselves. I really think that, and I'm not alone when I read a number of the writers on this topic. I remind you that pride is the old sin of the devil. You remember that? Let's do something a little unusual while still in the introduction. I want to remind you of the fall of Satan. Take your Bible, look at Isaiah chapter 14, still by way of introduction. There was a day in which Satan approached God. And uh, this, uh, this created being, he was the highest of all angels, approached God and had a desire to be God, which is the essence of pride, supreme pride. And Isaiah writes of his fall in Isaiah 14, beginning at verse 12, here in this uh, section of Isaiah dealing with the nation of Israel, we just uh, kind of drop in kind of an ellipsis and of what happened. Look at verse 12. How, are, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. That is Lucifer. That's the name Lucifer. Son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart. Here it is, pride. Look at the I wills. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. That's angels, probably. I will sit enthroned at the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Go back to Romans 12. I remind you that pride is that sin of the devil. The I wills here in Isaiah 14 surely teach that. And you should remember that. Tuck that away in your memory. So when you talk to folks about Satan, a created being, created with creaturely innocence and pure, but uh, obviously non-elect and fell. And, he, and Isaiah 14 records at least a thumb sketch of his pride in his fall. And ultimately and finally, hell was prepared for Satan and for his followers. Well, Romans 12, Paul is calling us to first things first. Verses 1 and 2, and we saw those in the previous two weeks, 
are a call to have a right relationship with God, having embraced the gospel, Romans chapter 1 to 8. We are to have a right relationship with him. And that means what? We offer, it's only logical, we offer our lives, our bodies to him as living sacrifices. That's an act of worship when we do that. Beyond that, in verse 2, we're to think his word after him. And again, that's an act of worship. So he calls us to proper relationship with God. MacArthur writes on that, as you offer yourself to God, this will open the door to usefulness. It's always that way. You and I must worship God first as a result of his salvation and then serve him. A lot of folks tend to want to serve God, but uh, are short on worshiping him. And God will not bless that. You and I individually and as a church must learn how to corporately and individually worship him by giving ourselves as living sacrifices, by meditating on his word, and then moving out from that. And so first things first, in verses 1 and 2, a right relationship with God. In verse 3, our focus for today, he, he is calling us, that is Paul, to a proper estimation of ourselves. And finally, he will close this chapter calling us to have right relationship with others. Next week, we're going to look at a catalog of gifts that God has given to his church. The Lord is gifted, and these are gifts of the Spirit, and they're to be used in our life for his glory. But before that, having worshiped God, and now as we look at ourselves in the mirror, verse 3, where they have the right estimation of ourself. There are two ways of thinking about self-worth, and don't we hear way too much about that today, self-esteem. And If I hear that again, I think I'm going to throw up. It's just ad nauseum, the times that you hear that. Uh, public education seems to be committed to the fact of having people really feel well about yourself to the downgrading of the import of grades, you know, uh, and some want to give no grades, you know, just everybody hug and feel good and, and all the rest. Part of it, I recognize, is the breakdown of homes and families and all of that. That's God's natural place and incubating system for raising up healthy uh, men and women uh, with dad and mom and, and functioning according to biblical roles. And we have a society that... Uh, is fast losing a lot of that. So you have educators saying, what are we going to do with these students that come here? You know, we want to teach them math and algebra and science, and, and uh, they're not sure if dad's coming home tonight or if they'll see mom or drugs in the neighborhood and all that goes on and, and these, all these societal and interfamily problems come in. And so the kids, rightfully so, suffer. What we sow, we reap, and it... It affects our families and those around us. It does. And so it's an enormous problem, titanic of size. It's spiritual at core, but the result is not just look in the mirror and feel good about yourself and, and pick yourself up and so you failed. We're all winners. You, you know, it's crazy. Uh, you see it even in the sports teams, don't you? The little loop soccer, and we saw our kids go through all that. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody wins. You know, you just don't, 
you lost. Uh, we don't use the L word. No, we're, no, we're all winners. No, no. You won and you lost. Work harder. You know, that's it. You know, and the sooner you teach our kids that, the better off they'll be. It's not everybody hug and everyone feel good and everyone's a winner. There are a lot of losers around. Have you noticed? There are. Don't you be one. That's not the answer. There are two ways of thinking about our self-worth, but there's only one way, one way that pleases the Lord, and Paul is going to teach that, unfolding verse 3 for us in his text this morning. Well, the first way. The first way, Roman number 1, we are wrong when we think too highly of ourselves. We must utterly stamp this out and reject it is sinful. It's a sinful mindset, and it's in us. And even when God is growing, this is how bad it is when he's growing us up, and he's making us servants. And at the end of the day, we might feel really good at what we did serving. And it's all right to feel good, but there's a point where we cross over the line and fall off the roof on the other side. It's within us. We have to always be on guard. It's within us. There's a wrong way of thinking, and when we're puffed up in our thoughts, it's evil. Well, A, in our text, Paul uses, you should know in the original Greek text, the word think. He uses it four times. Now, in the English, you'll only see it twice. I say to everyone, do not think. There's the first usage of it, more highly than you ought to, but rather think. There's the second usage of it, but in the Greek text, he uses the word four times. He uses a couple prefixes on it in the Greek and others, but he's calling us to think. After offering our bodies and minds and worship to God, we are to think, making right estimations of all things. And we're going to focus on ourselves here, but it means the right estimation of God and his glory and his greatness and his word and what he's up to. And the greatest thing going on today is the building of the church. It's not IBM. It's not AT&T or Ford Motor or any of that. It's the building of the church. And to think rightly about that, to think rightly about myself, will focus rightly about all that I meet, stranger, neighbor, friend, or foe. We are to have the right estimation of gifts and abilities and wealth and all of these things and not be duped in our thinking are to be puffed up in our thoughts. We are to make a right estimation, exercising this renewed mind in this way. Well, B, there are two possible errors in this kind of self-evaluation. The first kind, uh, first way is uh, when we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And let me hasten to say, you and I are prone to do this. Prone to wander, we sing that. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Prone. We have a bent that way. So when the, we have a bent that way, we often go that way, don't we? And that's within us. And you ought to recognize it as I do in groaning uh, too often within myself. This is the most dangerous of the two because it is the one that comes to us most naturally. You were born with it. It walks around with you. The reason that it does is, is that it's linked to pride. And pride is the first of what's called the 
seven deadly sins. You know that. Well, the truth is, and here's an old Puritan, almost everyone thinks more highly of himself than he ought to think. And we also want other people to have the same exalted opinion of us. I mean, we want people to think well of us. Who wants people to think, oh, they're trash, you know? Oh, they're a loser, you know, walk around like this. Nobody does. I mean, God made us as social beings. But uh, there's a point where, again, we cross the line, and it's prideful. We want people to think more of us than they ought to think of us. And that's sinful, because we think too highly of ourselves, our abilities, our place in life, our possessions, than what we ought to think. What are some ways in which we do this? How do we do this? How is it that we have this simple, puffed-up, prideful way of overestimating ourselves? Well, number one, some due to their birth. I've met people that were born, so to speak, with a silver spoon in their mouth. I'm a Rockefeller. I'm from New York, so that means something. You know, a Rockefeller, and they're kind of the royal family. I'm the Kennedy political family, right? Or I'm the J. Paul Getty family, or... You can name it. There are some that are born of certain families, some of the old, old money in the old East, you know. And they're just who they are by birth, and therefore I'm really somebody. And we can do that on lower levels here, too, in local communities and areas. There are certain names and families around this area that uh, you may be related to, and somehow you think, I got some of that royal blood. And it's sinful. It's frightful. It is. Uh, your, your birth, your family, your wealth. You know, you have a larger bank account. You have more assets. Uh, you're, you have a trust fund. I saw this thing on the trust fund kids, you know, going off to school. They have a trust fund. Trust fund. Imagine that. <laughs> that doesn't make you any better at all. Actually, it makes you more accountable. You have more to give an answer for, Right? Wealth is the same. Or achievement. You know, I did this, I did that. You know, my father developed and built a big business. Self-made man, people. That, that's, I know what you mean, but be careful of that. Boy, all of a sudden, man, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Daddy Warbucks. I'm really something. I've made, made myself. Let's be all you can to, under God's grace. Go for it. But remember, at the end of the day, always and, and always, it's because of God. For from him and through him and to him are all things, all things. And we'll say it a couple of times, learn to be a defector, a uh, uh, deflector. <laughs> Better get that right. Deflector. <laughs> Don't be defective in your faith or defect from the faith, but be a, be a deflector. When praise comes to you, Proverbs says that. That's a test. When people praise you, oh, you're really something. Really? Be careful. That's pride. It feeds that. It's in us intuitively. Be a deflector. In your heart, you know what you are. You know what you are more than anyone else knows what you are. Really. And you know what the grace of God is if he saved you. And just have the right estimation of yourself and in your heart, under your breath, or even audibly at times say, it's because of the Lord. Beginning to end and all the way through. That's the right estimation. That's the right appraisal. It's not you and Jesus. It's not like, 
like this. He and I, isn't that, aren't we great? What a team. No way. That, you have the wrong view. He could have made the rocks scream out if they didn't yell, Hosanna, Hosanna. The rocks. God could have done it. He made an ass speak. He didn't need us. We need to have the right view on that. Jim? What, the rocks? The what? The ass. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. We'll follow that up another time. That's true. Well, too, some, even, even as Christians, we'll have pride in, in knowing leaders. You know, we went to the R.C. Sproul, uh, the Ligonier. Yeah, R.C. and I hang out together. Yeah, right. You know, like we name drop. Yeah, I was with MacArthur. Yeah, I did this. Yeah, I did that. And we do that we, in our own Christian sort of way, you know. Went to this ladies' conference and saw Joni Erickson Tata. Got my picture. Yeah, Joni and I, you know. <laughs> we do that. What's the matter with us in our own minion ways? We have the same sort of thing. Or we'll do it in our church, you know. Some people are Presbyterians first. I'm a Presbyterian. Long before they're Christian. I'm a Baptist or I'm something. I'm a free. I'm Evan. Cut through that nonsense. If you're a believer, you're a believer. Sometimes people take more pride in the denominations, more pride in, I'm from that historic church, 10th Press in Philly. It's a great church. And uh, I love that. It's a lighthouse in the center of the city and it has been for a long, long time. But the church, you know, <laughs> to take pride in that is wrong, you see. It is. And we do that, don't we? Third, others do to due to their exceptional education. Some will think they're smarter, you know, and that's, that, that has a lot of weight in our culture. I graduated from this school, that school, right? We kind of paraded around. Oh, you're from that school? I'm from this school. There was a time I had a ministry for an, apprentice, an internship when I was in college, and I directed for two years a team of students that went into a country I mean, it was a country nursing home, Rancid, Newton Ransom. Uh, did I say Rancid? We used to say that uh, among ourselves. It smelled terribly. And we go in there, and these forgotten people, uh, every week we'd go in there, we'd have a service. I can't tell, me, tell you the number of times while I was, was preaching, and someone wheeled in a wheelchair, and there were a bunch of them, and all of a sudden there's accidents on the floor and wiping up. You can't, can't believe how bad it was. And, and many of them had lost their minds and so on, and they'd be babbling about this kind of thing. And there was one man, I'd, I'd talked to, we'd talked to him for a half an hour, and then we'd bring him down to a service and take him back. And I was trying to reach this man for a long time, and he was like really angry and kept repeating the same things over and over. And uh, finally, I, I, I somehow punched through to the guy, and I was talking about his family and his background and talking about the Savior, and I made mention there was a resident uh, social worker there, and she was, uh, she was a high and mighty type. I was just a senior in college, and, and I told her about this man. I said, I just had the most wonderful conversation with him. Impossible, she told me. Impossible. He's, and she went on to name what his problem was. And after all, I'm from C.W. Post. I said, really? And she, yeah, that meant something. I said, they, do they give cereal out there? You know, I, was, <laughs> I, couldn't re I was a bad boy. I couldn't resist because she was so prideful of the school. 
in the greater New York area that she graduated with. A, and I knew she where she was going, but uh, I said, I'm telling you, I had a good conversation. He hasn't been able to talk to anyone in 10 years. And she would put her credential right there upon her words from where she came from. Well, people do. They strut around. I'm from this school. I'm from that school. Listen, get a, get a good education. I'm for education. Get it through the lens of Scripture. Get all you can. I mean, faith suffered through me I, 10 years after high school. I, I, if you don't get it right, keep at it. That's my view. But it's like, a, it's like the old railroad watch. It's an education, okay? Get all you can. Be the very best that you can. But a railroad watch, they pull it out, they look at it. Yep, the train ought to be here. It's 3 o'clock. Then do that with your education. Close it up and put it in your pocket. Don't be waving it around and showing people that. It's nauseating. It's prideful. You end up with the wrong estimation of yourself. Knowledge puffs up. It does. Because you know a few more things. We're all minions. Doesn't make you somehow haughty and great in, in, in a sense of arrogance. Now our world does that. So you're going to march to a different beat. And be as bright and sharp as you can possibly be. And you ought to be, okay? Ask the Lord to help you in that. But don't wave that around because you're smarter. Still others, uh, and number four, because they have been given, it should be unusual power or position in life. I have this position. I have, I have that power. I could fire you. I could hire you. I'm, after all, I'm this person. I'm Bill Gates or to a lesser degree. I remind you, this was not unique. Uh, this is not unique to our day. The church at Corinth had the same problem. Uh, that was quite a city, that marine city filled with all kinds of industry and, and money and wickedness, really. And yet the gospel of God uh, through Paul came in and planted a church. Keep your finger in Romans. Just look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is writing. This church has all kinds of problems. One day we'll go through this book and study it. It's really like the American church, I think, or America. But he reminds them. Uh, of their, uh, of their uh, lowliness, really. They were all puffed up. I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm great. I'm blah, 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 blah. You know, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Paul writes, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Go back to that. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Here's the reason why. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord and never in ourselves. It's not a problem unique in our day. Well, there's a second. I said there are two possible errors in this self-evaluation. And number two, second, some of us think too lowly of ourselves. And first, let me say, this can often be a sign of false humility. It can. Sometimes we go efficient. Uh, for uh, words of affirmation and encouragement that uh, kind of 
make us feel good and puff us up. It really is pride uh, because we are looking for praise from others. It's kind of a backdoor sense of uh, getting it. Uh, like, how do we do this? Like, you may say um, uh, to a friend, well, uh, I'm, I'm not very smart. Now, you're, you really don't want it to end at that point. <laughs> really. And, and to show you that it's pride is because what is your reaction? Uh, really, a, a, a reaction and an attitude of offense when, let's say, that friend says to you, you know, you know I think it's good that you come to admit that you are pretty stupid. <laughs> we go, That's not what I was looking for, you know. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's a way of pride, just kind of like, that, oh, really, you're smart. You really are. I am? Really? Yeah, you are. You know? It's pride. It's false humility. How about a, uh, someone that says, you know, I'm not really very handsome. In fact, I'm kind of ugly. Well, you just don't want it to end there, right? Well, your friend says, yeah, it's true. You are a gomer if I ever saw one. You know, like, you know <laughs> What? <laughs> There's an offense. Why is there an offense? Because there's pride, and it roots it out. It's, it's pride that's there. You want them to say, oh, you're just having a bad hair day. You're really beautiful, you know, or something like that. And on and on it goes. There is a sense where it's false humility, where we're fishing for praise from others, and we're offended when we don't get it. Yet uh, there really is be, there really is there are those that have a low self-esteem. And they need to have a proper one. We find this not by pop psychology, that feel-good nonsense that floats around like a science and it's not, but rather by recognizing that what? We're made by God and God never makes junk. Never. He's not in the junk business. Made by God and more than that, and made for Him. Wow, to do good works. That's Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That God is foreordained for each one of you. If you know Christ the Lord as Savior, God has something for you to do and to be a part of. And that's the reason he's made you and saved you and equipped you and gifted you to do those good works. That's what God is up to. Well, we're wrong when we think too highly of ourselves. And we need to reject this and call it for what it is and have the proper mindset. There's only the second way of thinking of our self-work that pleases the Lord, and that's Roman numeral two. We please the Lord when we think of ourselves with sober judgment. Now, I'm not talking about not being inebriated or under the bottle, if you will. The word uh, sober is a good, good old English translation of the word sobriety, uh, to think reasonably or with fair estimation of that which is proper or right. You see, our problem is, is that we usually think about ourselves too much. And that is true. We do. We get up in the morning. What time will I get up? What am I going to wear? Will I brush my teeth? Oh, please do. Will I have breakfast? What will I eat? 
What will I drive? What will I wear? How about the day? I mean, we, you think about it all day long. There's a sense that we have to do that. Or where in the world are we, you know? But there's a sense where we think way too much of ourself in our little circle, our life. And it's an important thing to grow to realize the world doesn't revolve around us. People do not exist for me. The church does not exist for you, but you for the church, and you and I for the Lord. You see? Little children are very self-centered and selfish when they come. The fruit doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? Unless it's on a hill, somebody said it rolls a little bit, but it doesn't. I was on the phone the other week with Faithy and I with Sarah, all the way to the Middle East, and she said, Dad, Mom, I realize that I've given birth to a very selfish little girl. <laughs> it breaks my heart. We get together with the mothers and their babies, and my little girl doesn't want to share any of her toys. She'll be playing with a toy, and one of her girlfriends there is playing with her toys, and all of a sudden she don't want her toy. She goes over to get her girlfriend's toy and take it from her. And she's beginning to realize our little sweetheart, beautiful little angel, that the world does not revolve around little Taylor Grace. Isn't that true? It doesn't. And it's painful. I'm only glad we're grandparents. We don't have to paddle her at all. <laughs> Mom and Dad have to do that. We can just buy her candy bars and kiss her and have fun and all that stuff. But it's true. Well, we think far too much of ourselves. Paul's solution is not to stop thinking about ourselves entirely, rather to start thinking about ourselves with sober judgment and in accordance with the measure of faith, whatever that means. We'll talk about that. Well, what's it mean, this idea of sober judgment? Ray Steadman is a pastor who's written, uh, I thought, a very excellent thing. Jim Boyce picks it up. He talks about what it means to think of ourselves with sober judgment. Pastor Steadman, who's uh, now retired, used to read this little clip every morning when he got up to remind himself who he was and how he fit into the economy of God's world in program. And I've given you at length here these three uh, um, sub-points that you might take this and even incorporate this. I think this is beautiful. Well, he would read these things to help him to think soberly about himself. Number one, I made in the image of God. The Imago Dei, that we bear the likeness of God stamped upon our being, every man and woman, boy and girl, in the womb or out of the womb, made in God's image. That doesn't mean physical likeness. It means that we're, we have personality, that we are what? We're able to think. We're able to make choices and decisions. We're able to emote. We can love. We can laugh. We can weep. Self-consciousness, we're aware that we are. And that's why the thought of death and the demise and dissolution of the, who we are is abhorrent. And so we're aware. We have self-awareness. Some of the aspects of personality, the likeness that we bear with God. He, who am I? Ray says, I'm made in the image of God. What? That, therefore, I'm not an animal. We live in a world that confuses it. You read most biology texts, and they talk about uh, 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 homo sapiens, that they're an animal. We're an animal. Well, it is true that we share common 
characteristics with the, the rest of air-breathing, life-dwelling organisms that God has created to live in this habitat and this world to breathe the air that God has given, 21% oxygen, to drink water, digestive tracts, circulation systems, all of these things. But as much as you love your dogs, and some of you really love your dogs, our neighborhood is filled with dogs. They love dogs more than kids in our neighborhood. Boy, there's some beautiful dogs. Your dog is not a person. They have, pers they have characteristics and all that, but they're not a people. And you're hamsters. You say, I love hamsters. I have a little rat. I have a snake. I have a, uh, all kinds of strange things. Some of you have strange pets, too. We'll talk about Jonathan used to have African bullfrogs. And the bull was so dirty, we never saw much of them until they put their head up. No one ate the other. Isn't that right there? No one ate the other? That's a good friend, huh? You're not an animal. Here's the good news today. If you walk out of here with nothing else, pastor said, I'm not an animal. <laughs> Even our football coach used to say years ago, right? Animals on the field, gentlemen off the field. Stu, I don't know if they said that at LSU. But uh, no? You know? <laughs> well, he didn't mean really animals. He meant go 110% out there. Do your job on the field. You're not an animal. You're not an animal. Don't behave like an animal. That's a problem, you know. You tell people, look, you have no reason to be here. We're accidents. We're cosmic accidents. You're an animal. And then you tuck in. Everything's relative. It's no wonder people live like animals. It's the social Darwinianism. Carry another step out of the science uh, cosmology discussion into the way people live. I could go kill people. They're, they're, they're nothing. They're zeros. You're not an animal. Don't live like an animal. You're made in the image of God. Raised right in that. And more than that, I have the capacity to respond and to relate to God because he consists of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's personal, and so am I. And I can relate to him because I'm a person. Number two, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. If you know Christ, and you're being filled with Spirit, you're walking in the Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells within you. You have the power of God working within you and within me. God is at work within me through the problems and the pressures. And we all have them. I have problems and pressures, and you have them. They, they're, they're, they're diverse, but nobody is immune. And if it is, it's only for a moment. Get ready. Tuesday's coming. I don't know what it is, but it'll be a phone call or something, and you'll have the same. And yet he's still working in you and in me through it, through the Spirit of God. We sang that song for years, that little kid's song. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, but he's still working on me. And if you know Christ, he's working on you as well. <laughs> Don't clap because I'm finished. <laughs> Sometime I'm going to sing another song. I told Faith. She says, oh, please let me know ahead of time. <laughs> but there's a couple of songs that just, I just got to get them out and sing. And you just have to bear with me and listen to my soul, not my uh, melody, maybe, <laughs> or whatever it is. That's how bad it is. I don't even know what they call it. So, Number three, I'm part of, uh, of the plan of God. Oh, that's great, isn't it? You're part of the plan of God. 
This is not an independent free agent out here just kind of wagging your tail and moving along. You're part of a plan and a program. What I do today has purpose. Ray, you're right in that. It has significance. And it has meaning. We clamor and crave for that. We want to know that our life has meaning and purpose. And we're not just accidents and nobodies and, and, and these kind of things. And, and he's right. That's who you are. And it's part of having a right a mindset, an estimation of who you are. This is not a meaningless day. They're a gift. And even the smallest incident, think about this, the most insignificant word, somebody you pass by, or relationship is involved in God's great plan. That's amazing. That'll change the way you think about yourself in God's world and as you conduct yourself. I think Ray is exactly right. This gives us confidence but without any conceitedness. It gives us the right Christ-like mindset. There's no vanity here. This is a sober assessment. Sober indeed. Wow. Well, the believer, Dr. Barnhouse wrote, the believer who is proud of what he has been given, given to him, is really taking to himself what belongs to God. God has given you all your talents and abilities and skills and gifts, days of your life, your wealth, your, even your personality makeup. Say, I'm sort of quirky. Well, God made you that way, and he has a purpose for that. Don't stay there. Continue to grow in grace and ask the Lord to knock off rough edges, and we all have them in blind spots, but to be used for his glory and for us to take credit or to be proud of all of this that God has given is really, as Dr. Barnhouse says, to be guilty of robbing God. We need to be very careful about that. Well, finally, the second thing in B, we are not only to think with sober judgment, but second, we are to think with the measure of faith give, that God has given. That's what he says as he closes out verse 3. We are to think with the measure of faith. Metron is the word, meter we get from that. The measure of faith that God has given. What's that mean? Well, you're to think of yourself in accordance with the specific gifts that God has given to you. If the first part of verse 3 looks back and remembers verse 1 and 2, this living sacrifice and to be thinking with a renewed mind, and it does, then this last phrase of verse 3 is really looking to where we're going next week in the following. It's really talking, going to talk to us about the variety and diversity of gifts and abilities that God has given to, to each one of us. There's one faith and there ought to be one fellowship and that needs to be, but there are diversity of gifts and ministries within the body of Christ for the church gathered and the church scattered as we go and do the work of God in the other six days during the week. And he calls us to this measure of faith that God has given. This involves what each one of us is uniquely. We each have different God-given gifts and talents. Now you should know that the word faith here is not saving faith but uh, the trust we have in God to use the gifts 
to discover and then to use the gifts that God has given to us to use. This is function within the body. Uh, there are three common ways that the word faith is used in the Bible. When you read that, you say, the faith, the measure of the faith that God has given you, what is that? Well, the most common word faith is for saving faith, right? About faith, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, that's saving faith. We know that. That's the trust that uh, actually God gives us as a gift when he regenerates our heart. And we trust him. We trust his word. We trust the Savior. We rest uh, upon the finished work of the cross. and Don't try and add anything to it because of something we might do. And now we work as a result of that because we are saved. That's saving faith. The second is, uh, is more objective. It's uh, the faith that was once delivered. It's, uh, it's, the, it's the dogma. It's the system of truth of the Scripture. It's theology. We're to earnestly contend for it. Paul said that uh, in 2 Timothy, I've kept the faith. He meant that he kept the truth of, uh, that God had given to him. He obviously was saved, saving faith, and he, and, uh, and he was faithful. He didn't become apostate. He didn't wander off into aberrant teaching. And so there is the faith. That is the system of truth. And the third is what we're looking at here. That is our individual spiritual gifts that are discovered, received, and discovered and exercised by faith. You have to trust God. There was a day when I began to wonder in my own heart if God would have me to be a, a teacher of the Word. I said something to my pastor. I was in college, came home for summer, and I said, I'd like to, like to teach a class if I could. Very busy Sunday school, and the church was thriving. And uh, they didn't know if they could fit me in because they had a full staff and all that. Well, I got a call a few days later. And they said, uh, would you be interested in junior high boys? Junior high boys? You bet. I was too stupid to realize that's combat pay for <laughs> ministry. And they said, we, you know, we're growing so big, we, we don't have any rooms. So could you meet in the kitchen with them? And I said, I don't care. It's nice, we'll go out and sit on the grass. It doesn't matter to me. And uh, it, began, uh, it began a process in my own life to say there was a yearning in my heart to, to want to minister and to give forth things that I'd learned or, or to give. And God was stirring up an awareness in my case of pastor teaching, an awareness to study the Word and want to see that embraced and lived in the hearts and lives of others. And that began a trek for me. I had never taught prior to that. And to see, uh, there are a couple, of, there's one that's even in the pastoral ministry today, one of those boys. And that was a challenge. And uh, I'll never forget the, that summer a long time ago. And God began to, an awareness of that. And, that and, and that's the gift of teaching and pastor teaching in time. God put that in my heart when I was in seminary. Or a number of the men I was with, they wanted to be professors and, and writers and all of that. And there's a need and a place for that. But my longing was always to be a pastor teacher. That's where the action is. That's where the family is. That's what God's building. The, nothing against parachurch. There's a great need for that. But I wanted to, my, God had put my heart to be a pastor teacher. But I didn't know until 
I began an inquiry to discover that and to inquire on that. There was a stint I taught full-time as a professor, but uh, after several years, I got bored with it. To teach the same classes, you embellish them and you work on them, and some of you have that gift, and I'm thankful for that. But I wanted the babies to the grandmas to everyone in between and the whole business and to see a church really reach the world. That's where I, and God put that in my heart, to pastor, teacher. And some of you have a whole sort of variety of gifts and ability, different from me, and they're all important. And we're going to look at that more next week as we get sort of a catalog of gifts. And here's the news. Every one of you has a gift. And like me, you've got to be willing to say, Lord, I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll try. You see, that's faith. I'm going to try this. I may fall on my banana here, but help me and, and lead me and guide me and, and counsel from those. What do you see in my life? Am I all wet on this? Should I try something else? And uh, it takes faith to trust God. I mean, he's the potter or the clay. He's the one that gives the gifts. It's through the Spirit of God. And that's what he's talking about, the measure of faith that's been given to you and to me. And so genuine humility, then, number two, has to do with spiritual gifts that God has given to us, and that we take them seriously and that we use them for God's glory. And it's wrong for every one of us for you to say, I have nothing to offer God. Listen, if you're saved in here, you can never say that. Because you're really wagging your finger at God who has gifted you in abilities. And maybe they're untapped and undiscovered. Maybe you need to stir them up and use them again. But it's wrong for you ever to say, God can't use me. That's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. You have a tremendous bit to be able to offer. Wow. Well, lessons for our life. Number one, beware of false pride. It'll either come in through the front door or the back door. Ask God to root it out of you. Repent of it. I ask that often. It creeps around. It disguises itself. Sometimes it smells good, but it's rotten to the core. It's the sin of Satan. I want to be like God. It was the first temptation to Adam and to Eve. God didn't want you to eat of that because he knows that you'll be like God. Hey, listen, we are never to be God. Never. Ever. That's pride. It's pride. Repent of it. And do it often. Ask the Lord to reveal it to you. Lord, where am I prideful? Maybe the way I look at other people. I saw something once where it's the glance down. You know, you walk down the the hallway, and perhaps you work in an office or a factory or that school, and someone who's an underling, and you don't make eye contact with them because, you know, they're not trash, but they're beneath you. It's the eye down. God forbid. I mean, we ought to be blessings to everyone we meet. Days gone by, I had 83 people working for me at one point. I got news for you. I discovered the most important people, and it wasn't this guy or my office. It was the people that made that plant operate. <laughs> and when our custodians and janitors, uh, uh, you know, knew their place and did their job well, most everything else flushed well. You know what I mean? 
So I couldn't have been happier to always praise them and encourage them and, uh, and not do the look eye down or out the window, but to consider them my equal or better. And that's biblical and that's right. We ought to do that. Ask the Lord to root that out. Number two, as you renew your mind in the Word, that's verse two, have the proper estimation of yourself. You're made by God, gifted by God. You can relate to God. God is up to something. You're part of his plan and purpose. Isn't that neat? You're a cog in this great thing called the plan of God. Function accordingly. You're not junk. You're not dirt. Oh, I'm nobody. Oh, yes, you are. You are. Number three, let me suggest to you a key to this whole thing of pride and humility is your prayer life. There could be other reasons why you don't have the prayer life that you ought to have. But your prayer life, in a word, might measure whether you have an overestimation of your own self and your abilities. The lack that you don't pray and ask and worship God and ask for His help may indicate your overestimation of your own abilities in your own life. I know it's true in mine. A humble man humble woman prays and prays often because they realize that they're wholly and utterly dependent on God. Totally dependent. Totally. We think we're going to live forever. I got news for you. You're not. And bad news comes, doesn't it? We live in a fallen world. We said the other week with Wendell's funeral, we're all in a march to a funeral during these few days of life that God has given to us. We are totally and utterly dependent on God. That's why we thank God for everything we eat. We thank Him for every day, for every moment, for every gift. We thank Him for His protection. Pray, pray, develop your prayer life. Pray early, pray often. Do that, carve up, get up early. Start a little prayer journal. Write down, when people ask you to pray, Pull out your little journal. Write that down with a date. Pray about that. Then come back and ask, how's that going? Janae, how's your, how's your surgery? Are you back at work? She's not at work. It's a one-woman law office. And without working, you know what that means. And her grandma, and Laura, you know, we've heard these different ones. Write these down. That's what we do on Wednesday night. We meet and pray. That's a blessed time. Number four, fourth lesson. When praise comes your way, be a deflector. Give glory to God. Always. Be a deflector. Realize that you're really not much. You're something. You're intrinsically, incredibly of worth, but not what most people think. So don't be puffed up. Be a deflector. Give the glory to the Lord. I love that when, when some of these, these uh, great athletes in our day, <clears throat> when they... When they, when they do something well on the court or in the field, and they're interviewed, and they try to, it's difficult, because the interviewer doesn't want to really, they're not looking for that. But they'll say, I'd just like to give praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think the Lord's smart. I'm pleased with that. The Lord's, I'm pleased. And that's what we ought to be. And we all have a certain platform in which we're able to do that. Do that. God, I'm pleased. Number four. Number five. And we have a total of six today. If you realize that God has gifted you, 
Use it. Discover it. Use it. Try it by faith. Say, Lord, you give me some. I'm going to try. I don't know if I can do nursery. We need a few more in the nursery. And then that great. One person a week for a 13 weeks rotation. We're going, to get, we're going to develop more teachers. We have to get more teachers in our Sunday school. There shouldn't be a few people handling that. We're going to train you and teach you. We're going to help you discover if God's given. Use it. Maybe you have the gift of giving. Maybe you have the gift of helps, the gift of uh, administration, the gift of all kinds of things. Mercy. We're going to go through these next week. Discover it. Use it. By faith. Say, I'm going to try, Lord. I don't know if I can. The Lord will be there. If he's given you the gift, it's within your heart to want to do it. Get it out for the glory of God. Number five and number six and last, today's the day of salvation. So you may be here and you have never trusted Christ the Lord as Savior. I know it happens. You may even be a member of Grace Church. And you've never trusted Christ. Christ alone. Oh, you need to. Oh, receive him as your Lord and Savior. A simple prayer of faith. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Thank you for dying on Calvary's cross for me. Oh, the love of God that you should do that for me, to pay the price for my sin, and to save me from that. Bless the Lord. Well, it's one thing to appraise a house. Anybody having an appraisal problem with, uh, with a subprime war? I, I haven't heard of it in our church, and they say that Pennsylvania is getting... Uh, is doing really well with it because of the laws and so on, and I'm glad for that. Well, it's one thing to appraise a house. What's that? It's all going to burn up. Your self-appraisal is infinitely more important. Let's be biblical, okay? We're servants. We don't have rights. And nobody's the big maha around here. There's only one, and his name is the Lord. He's the head of the church, and we're his servants. Let's stand and be dismissed.